If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Beautiful Humans, the social change cast, where behavior analysis and social justice collide. Join us as we aim to move the needle on personal and social change by tapping into the beautiful humans inside of all of us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whatever medium you prefer to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change and on Facebook at Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to www.patreon.com slash beautifulhumans to become a Patreon. All righty. Welcome back, beautiful humans. We are here. It's Denisha and... This is Erin. How's everybody doing? You're not Hopefully good. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Your audio just cut out for a second, so I had trouble like following where we were, but it's all good. Oh, whoops. All right. So that was probably like an odd introduction, but I think people get a kick out of that. Anyway, so with our odd introduction, this week we're actually going to do something a little bit different. Um, we've actually merged our show with another podcast, the Do Better podcast, if any of you have heard of that. Um, so instead of doing our typical check-ins, we're actually just going to jump right into um, into hearing from our today's co-hosts. Um, so we've got Dr. Megan Miller and, and Joe Smith. Um, so we want to welcome you both. Um, and why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Tell us about yourselves. Super excited. Thanks, Erin and Denisha. Very excited to be here. I'm Dr. Megan Miller. And as Aaron mentioned, we have a variety of things going on in the Do Better movement, but we do have a podcast called the Do Better Podcast. And I'm a behavior analyst who lives in Florida, St. Petersburg with my husband and my son. He's almost four. And I've mostly focused for the past few years on providing dissemination efforts to help improve the practice of behavior analysts in the United States, but also globally by creating free professional development activities and webinars, um, just interactive Facebook posts and things like that. And I have a lot of different jobs, so I won't go into all of those, but that's my, my main passion. I'm honest. I don't even know what you do. Like, that's how cool it is. is all these different things. <laughs> If I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, there's almost a, you have to have a flow chart to de- to find out like what she does. Like she has so many jobs and <laughs> always busy. Yeah, so, I just saw the international thing that you joined. I guess we can talk about that a little later as well. But I was sure. like, oh, okay, Dr. Miller, <laughs> you definitely um, have been disseminating to the field a lot and you have such a a uh, broad and large reach. So we're glad to have you here. Thank you. And we've got Joe too. Why don't you tell us about yourself, Joe? All right. Thanks for having us. Um, so my name's Joe, of course, and I'm a special education teacher here in Virginia Beach for a, for a regional public day school. And I'm also a clinical supervisor for navigation behavioral consulting here in Virginia Beach. 
I live here with my wife and my boy Blue, who is a two-year two-year-old Irish Wolfhound. Those are like really big dogs, right? Um, yeah, he's humong- humongous. Um, it, <sighs> it's really difficult to um, withhold attention from him when he's seventy pounds and laying on top of you. Uh, oh yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can handle that. Oh, wow. Um, cool. I didn't realize you were in Virginia Beach. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm originally from uh, Pennsylvania near Altoona, uh, okay. which is near Penn State University. Um, but I moved down here right after college in search of a special education uh, teacher position. And I've been here ever since. Okay, cool. Uh, what like just so I know I I was a special education teacher for for a little bit. What like what I don't know is it are are you do do you do like a self contained classroom or what's that look like? So I teach second and third graders um, this year. I'm in a self contained uh, classroom, but what's really different about my classroom is all the students who come to us have an IEP and have been. Um, their LRE is a much more restrictive environment than the regular public school setting. Um, so think of like a regular public school with their self-contained. Well, it's more restrictive than that. Okay. So, yeah. So it's, um, highly individualized, structured. Uh, there's a system of routine and rituals, um, to help, um, my students succeed, uh, while, you know, also teaching them to the SOL standards. Awesome. So, yeah. Cool. That's interesting. Got a, I liked teaching. It was fun. It is fun. It is fun. It's, uh, it's great. It's, in, uh, it's a lot of fun, exciting. Every day is a new day. Um, and the history and backgrounds of the students I serve are, um, heartbreaking sometimes it wears on me sometimes, but it's definitely something that is very rewarding. Awesome. That's cool to hear. So, um, so just to give a backstory as to how we got here to have you on all on the show. Um, I think you, I don't, when did you all start your podcast? We released the first episode, September 15th. We do it the 15th of every month. Okay. So this Sorry, was... September 15th, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Give a year to that. <laughs> Fair enough. Same time. We introduced ours, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I remember you posting something. I think it was, uh, I think you had said it was about like one of the episodes or something. I don't remember. There was a connection yeah. where I was like, this would have been perfect. I found the post. It was, I posted it on October 15th. Um, And it was publishing papers does not automatically make you better than everyone. Cannot wait for our podcast on RFT and VB to go live at 9 a.m. So that was my post. (laughs) And then, um, Aaron, you you asked about doing a crossover podcast. So it took us a few months to get here, but here we are. (laughs) Hey, the holidays. I know, right? I wonder what my line of thinking was when, when I read that. I don't know if it was like perception that we have in the field about um, like value of knowledge being held by like pink people who publish and research and all of that. I don't, I don't know where that was, but I just um, 
don't know, something struck me, but I'm really glad we finally got here. And I'm glad you found that. I went back and tried to find it too. And I, I <laughs> Well, I was um, fortunate because um, Denisha and I were not friends yet on Facebook when you, you commented and then you pulled her into the post. So I just did a search for her name <laughs> because I don't have as many interactions with her and I was able to find it. That's so smart. That's very smart. I like that. Cool. <laughs> Awesome. So, well, just on a personal level, like I've been following, you said um, in your intro, you had talked about the Do Better movement bringing um, like free webinars and things like that. Um, and that's when I heard about it. I don't remember if it was the first year you did it or the second year. Um, but you were still on Slack at that point, I think. That was the first year then in 2018. Okay. Then it was, then it was that. Um, and ever since then. So can you just give a little like background, like what started that? Where did, where did that whole thing originate from? So I've done a lot of training ever since I started in the field. I went to Florida state and Dr. Bailey and Dr. Murphy, who were two of our professors there really set us up for you. One of your responsibilities in the field as a behavior analyst is to present at conferences and present to the community about what we do and what you're working on and that kind of thing. So even as part of our graduate program, we had to do conference presentations. Um, so I started off like I love doing that all the way back in grad school a long time ago. So when I graduated, when I lived in Panama City, and then when I moved to Virginia, that was one of always one of the things I highly valued was doing free presentations to the community. Um, and I kept this running list of topics, like when I would supervise people and I had a lot of people that I would supervise internationally or just our staff that we would work with at navigation, the same issues and the same themes. It felt like I was just repeating myself like a broken record all the time. And so I would make a note, okay, I need to do a training on this. I need to do a training on this. So I had this list of at least 10 different trainings I wanted to do, but I never made time for it. I always something else came up and I just couldn't get it going. So there was something that happened in December. I don't even remember what it was, December 2017, um, right around Christmas that finally I was just like, God, this is happening. So on December 26th, I sat up in my bedroom at my parents, like we were visiting them and I had red paper and I wrote out all of my, what each month was going to be and what the activities were going to be. And I just wrote it all out. I messaged Matt Sicoria and I was like, I'm doing this. Can we make a podcast episode about it? And like, we're just, this is happening. So I planned it all basically in a day. And I mean, obviously it had been brewing in my head for a long time. And, and then we start, I started it. So in um, January of 2018, the plan initially was that we would do something each week. So one week was um, I would share like a video or something and have people discuss it around the topic. One week I would do a webinar. One week I would have a blog. And then the last week was just basically for people to reflect on what they learned. But I, I was not able to keep up with that. And I quickly realized most people were just interacting around the webinars. So I just dedicated my time to that. Uh, and then I wanted to make sure it's a community uh, where people can share. I'm, I don't know everything. So I wanted to make sure that other people could share additional ways to improve our practice. And for 2019, I had a bunch of people that I'd encountered through conferences and whatnot, agree to volunteer to present. So I didn't present at all in 2019. And then Joe had the idea to start the podcast. So we worked on that. 
but it took until September to get it <laughs> going. Um, and then for 2020, I basically just put out a call on our Facebook group and said, Hey, if anyone's interested in presenting, you know, fill out the spreadsheet and you can present for the, the movement this year. I'm not really sure what we'll continue to do, but the idea is that we all volunteer our time to present initially to get the information out there. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I've definitely the webinars. I love that you. I love that you. You took data essentially. You looked at what was beneficial <laughs> and what people attended to, and then you used that and kind of ditched everything else. Yeah. Um, that's great. So, Joe, the podcast was your idea. Yeah. So. I am a huge podcast junkie. Um, even before, um, even before I listened to uh, behavioral observations, I would listen to just random little uh, podcasts um, off my um, iPhone, and I always wanted to do something along, like along the lines of um, ABA, uh, and. I just had an idea with, you know, how we can reach out more with the Do Better movement. Um, I remember it was an email Megan sent out about like, you know, hey, what can we do to, you know, um, make the Do Better movement better? And I remember replying back that, you know, we should probably do a podcast. I think that would be great um, and a great medium that we could use to um, to disseminate information to um whoever wants to listen so i think denise and i can connect with that <laughs> a little bit and it's taking awesome. a while <laughs> it's taking a while to get wow <laughs> we had so many different like um phases to try to get the podcast up and running but yeah eventually yeah. got here Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of like that, that one day you were talking about it, like that night it's you stand and then it's like the next day it's like, okay, it's time to essentially pull the trigger and just do it, you know, yeah. instead of just thinking about it. So, um, awesome. Thank you for like sharing that, that backstory and hopefully, and the, the Facebook group, the do better Facebook group, that's open to anybody, right? Yes. I do have a few questions to join just to make sure that people understand it, like the focus and purpose of the group and don't, try to post things that aren't relevant to what we're trying to accomplish, but anybody can join. Awesome. I've been following this movement for such a long time as well, but I got the the Google Drive, so I wasn't there with this slack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, initially, when I first did it, the plan was the content would be free for a month and then it would go to our website and get removed. But people kept like, oh, I didn't have time to watch it. And I was like, well, this kind of defeats the purpose if people aren't accessing it, you know, during that month or whatever. So I made that Google Doc. And now it has tw all of 2018, all of 2019, and then the registrations for 2020. I decided to use Zoom this year and I put all the links up. There's a few events that I need to add, but for the most part, everything's on there. Cool. So thinking, okay, so our like do better in, in the sense of like, just in behavior analysis, right? That's pretty broad. I like that because it kind of <laughs> can be applicable to anything. And so given that, you know, we're a social justice podcast, um, you know, that's kind of what we wanted to, to focus on tonight, which is, you know, it just pairs so well with that. So one of the first questions that we had for both of you are just kind of what, you know, what training were you given 
specifically in behavior analysis, like when you went through your coursework or supervision or anything like that, that targeted like culture or equitable practices or justice or anything like that? Like, did, did you get anything? And if you did, what, what was that? <laughs> You're both laughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Megan, can I, can I, yeah, go so, for it. So, so, um, so yeah, so I was just looking back at my transcript because before we, I came on to this podcast, I was like, what did I have that addresses that? And the closest thing that I could um, remember, and remember, I graduated with my certificate back in 2018. Um, so I looked through my transcript and there was nothing except for that ethics course I had to take. Um, but other than that, there's nothing. What about you, What about Megan? you, Megan? So. <laughs> Jinx, Jinx. I need a soda. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with, for my master's level training, I don't recall anything specifically on culture or equity or justice or anything like that. I do. Uh, I Obviously, we, ha we had an ethics course at FSU before the BACB ever required it. So that was nice. We had a whole course on ethics before it was even required. But also not surprising, given that Dr. Bailey was there. Um, and, you know, there was discussions around, you know, being objective and that kind of thing, but not really a whole lot of discussion about how to, you know, work with different types of families or anything even further down that road with, regarding equity and um, social justice and things like that. Now, for my PhD program, at Ohio State, I was in the special education department. So there was a ton, uh, and I shouldn't say so there was, and the broader general education, we had to take some courses that they were required to take as well. And there, so there was a huge focus. We had a few different courses, but specific toward education on diversity. But again, they didn't necessarily touch on a lot of it was I was uh, listening to your episode with Megan Kirby. Uh, I didn't haven't had a chance to listen to all of them. But I listened to the first one, the one with um, Dr. Gold, and then with Megan, and the one with Megan, where you were talking about how there's, you know, in your coursework right now, Aaron, there's stuff that you all read. And it's like just theoretical stuff. <laughs> okay, but what do we do? So that was a lot of what ours was. It was especially for uh, the education, it was the system's broken. There's people of different economic status and different backgrounds and different cultures who are not receiving what they should. Equity definitely does not exist. And that was it. <laughs> and the really, really sad thing was a lot of the authors that were, were writing about these issues are people who probably went through those systems and then, you know, are writing about their experiences, but they bash behaviorism, like not nobody's business. They are not fans of our science and what we do. They see us as creating robots and being cold and not um, compassionate or empathetic or anything like that. There, there was numerous times in our graduate courses where we'd have to read things bashing Skinner and bashing behaviorism and no defense by the professor, no opportunity for us to chime in and be like, oh, that's a misconception. Um, so that was very interesting. Oh, wow. I hadn't had that experience. What about you, Denisha? Um, so my background is in mental health. And so, yes, 
Um, right. <laughs> if your background is in counseling, absolutely. <laughs> you had coursework that was dedicated to it. Um, we had a full class for it, but then it was also interwoven inside of uh, the rest of our coursework because it's part of the ethical code. And it's part of the ethical code in a way that's very different than our current code, right? Um, it talks about justice. It talks about advocacy for groups that are um, considered marginalized. Um, and so, you know, we all were reading about the author's if you're in counseling, you know who Sue is. Like he, that um, particular author, he um, did a lot of work in diversity. The thing about also with counseling is you get information that you apply. And so some of it, um, you know, Megan, when she was here, she talked about like um, moving forward with like stereotypes and stuff. But um, not all of that is going to be quote unquote stereotypical. Some of that is data. Some of that is feedback that's been given by the groups and listening to folks uh, and being able to understand how you build rapport with certain individuals and still knowing that context changes, right? That's what we know as individuals. Um, but having just that overall information about um, this could be useful for me in, in terms of working um, with specific cultures or just being able to tune in to the differences, at least we we had all of those classes. Um, but in terms of behavior analysis, no, um, I won't say that my ethics course covered it too much. Um, and I'll just say that um, I don't think it covered it too much, but probably because currently um, our ethical code doesn't cover it too much, right? There's a discrimination clause, essentially, and that's pretty much it. So I don't think that we spent much time talking about working with different groups at all. Yeah, mine was similar to that. Um, my master's was in a lot of special education. And so it was like similar to what you were saying, Megan, where they say, hey, this exists. But then they just like left it and walked away. It was just like, be aware of this. And I'm like, Oh, great. Like, I don't I don't know what else to do with that. Um, and then I don't even remember. I think I remember touching on ethics in the coursework. But that was about it. And then it was not a big focus of the coursework at all. So I definitely, um, you know, if we're talking about doing better, um, <laughs> you know, I think there's a, a lack of training and, and instruction that kind of comes with, with all of that. Would you all agree? Yes. I was curious about, do you, did you all ever feel like whether it was your training in graduate school or just people you would interact with at conferences or maybe supervision that it's almost the opposite where it's just sort of this, you're a behavior analyst, you're a scientist, you don't need to know about those things. And that's not part of your job. Yeah, um, I'm reminded of the quote, uh, Hayes and Taramino, if, you know, behavioral principles are generally applicable, then why do we need to concern ourselves with culture? And that's a loose. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like, I, I, I've, I feel like I've seen that um, with the way that people interact and uh, different cultural variables that are shut out because everyone's just like, I mean, behavior is behavior. The other people on the other side that were the counter protesters, protesters they have, um, you know, and so that was, it was a lot to take in. And I don't know if I've still fully processed all that because here we are like, you know, just over 24 hours <laughs> after all that. I think I texted you right before the show. I was like, there's still a lot that I'm processing that, um, I don't know if I have like words to communicate that yet, but, um, but it was definitely very ironic standing there. And I think that was the first time it ever kind of came full circle for me that, um, that I really like, I don't, I don't have protection 
Like I knew I didn't have certain rights. Like it took me a while to be able to marry somebody. And that's only been what, four years where like same sex marriage mm -hmm. has been legal or, um, you know, any marriage of any two people is, is, is allowed. And, um, but to even think like that's four years, you know, and to put that in perspective and now four years later being here, being like, Oh, I could, I could be fired. You know, they're, they're arguing if I have protections, if I, you know, have the same. So it was just a lot to, to wrap my head around. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then two, I know we were standing on the one side and I was hearing that there were counter protesters and I didn't even realize all the pink signs over there. I didn't pay attention to what they said. Did you recognize Wait, what it was? No, I saw the pink signs and I thought they were part of us at first. And then I think at some point I actually like read it and then it mm -hmm. says sex, not gender. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, are they, and I was just really confused. Like, what is, what is that supposed to mean? Are they here with us? And like, how does that fit? And I was, I didn't know that there were, those were counter protesters. And I think one of the things that caught me off guard were how close they were. I don't, I've never been to a protest where counter protesters were actually that close like they were with our we were all together in the same space normally they're across the street like that's how i'm used to it like they're they're in their own space and they're doing their own thing you don't have to interact with them you see them you don't have to hear anything of what they're saying uh women's march like if we were in the middle of the street they were on the sides i've never had to come into such close proximity with counter protesters like that and so i was I was taken aback by that um and it definitely confused me initially when i saw the signs all i saw was pink and i'm like okay pink and then sex not gender what the so yeah do you think that was by design that or they were so close? that yeah or did that because they had microphones they had amps they had everything set up where they had their own speakers um how does that usually work just logistics sake are there people out there like organizing and saying, okay, you go over here and you go over here? Or do people just go and set up in separate spaces on their own? You know what? Um, normally, so a lot of the actions that I've been used to organizing were in New York. And because it's New York, you have to have legal stuff taken care of. You have to, you know, there are certain places that you could protest freely, but like if other places, if you need something that's going to be on the street, like you have to make sure that your permits and stuff are in order. And uh, actually a permit might not be the right word. Um, but yeah, you essentially like a permit, you have to make sure that's in order. And so maybe that's why I've never been near counter protesters because that's not going to get signed off on. Um, and so I don't know how DC worked. Obviously, we were not part of the organizing team. Um, but to see that, and maybe because normally the um, type of protests in, in New York that I've been part of have been like, really like emotionally latent and you know folks when they start to think about like oh the country is pulled by two sides and it's in you know race relations maybe they don't want us close for a reason because they're afraid and so they make sure the counter protesters are over there i'm not sure um but to me it just wasn't well i mean i felt like that should never never have happened you you're talking about a group of folks who are already coming in here probably feeling really fearful, really sad, already traumatized that their rights are up for grabs and or are for discussion. And then you have to stand next to people who are literally misgendering folks on purpose 
who are mm-hmm. trying to find people to talk to and tell them why they disagree with who they are. Um, you know, and that just, that made me feel like really disgusted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know whose, whose idea was that. I don't know if DC is a place where you can just set up shop and, yeah you know, they let you do whatever. And that, that could definitely probably have been the case. And, you know, maybe there's nothing that the police could have done about it. Even though to me, I feel like the police could have said, go to the other side of the street. You don't Mm -hmm. have to be this close, but that's just me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. That helps. I mean, we could easily find that out too. Yeah. Um, Google search. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Committed action. I'm going to find that out. Um, but just, so the pink signs, and we can explain what all that, or at least our impressions of that were, but, um, so we eventually kind of migrated over there. I said, oh, I want to see what all of this is about. I want to see, um, it was more just an observation. I wanted to see, uh, A, what, who they, who they were, what they were saying. And when we got over there, it was very clear, um, that they were not a part of our, <laughs> um, our side, so to speak. Um, and so that is when a lot of the, like you were saying hurt and like being re-traumatized and all of that, um, all of that really started to, to show up, um, listening to, I think the hardest part for me was listening to the younger kids get up, uh, and give speeches that were, just like these severe undertones of hate for other people. Um, and that was, that was really, I think the hardest part. Cause it's like, if, if there's anything that gives me hope <laughs> about this country, it's the kids and the youth um, and how a lot of them have just like really taken to, like I, I went to pride this year, um, you know, where I live and, the amount of youth that were there and just so happy and open um, was, it it gave me a lot of hope. And then to Mm -hmm. go there and see this, it was just like, crap, like there is another side to that. And it was kind of just in your face. Um, But like you were saying, there were people going around and instigating from their, from their side. And I don't necessarily know that we were going around and I, I don't know, we can talk about, behaviors we saw specific um and and how to address that from a behavioral perspective but um you know that was really hard is to to go and to to see people who have no interest in hearing your experience but just want to tell you what they think and what they feel and that you're wrong Mm -hmm. and um and i know from reading some of the transcripts and hearing some of the um you know the, the the videos from reports that were happening in the courtroom is that that's what was essentially being said was some of the justices were talking about trans people like they weren't human and so knowing that that's 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 happening but then to see just the love and joy that came from people um was uh, just so many mixed emotions i think that's what i'm trying to say is there's just so many mixed emotions about the whole thing mm-hmm. yeah one thing i always love about actions um even though they are emotionally charging there is community there's joy in the resistance for sure and being around folks um and feeling their love 
and you feel in love towards other people in that moment. Like, I think that is the beauty of protests, finding community, talking to new people and knowing that you see each other and you want the best for one another. And I definitely feel like that is um, a reinforcer for me to like, you know, keep showing up to places that take all of everything out of me at the end of the day. Yes, definitely. Like the, watching the acts of civil disobedience at the end and um i mean i got i got some good pictures from that and just seeing everybody like link arms at the end and then not do that but do like a kick line you know (laughs) and and it's funny like in the stonewall uprising documentary they were talking about how how drag queens were doing like right in front of police were doing kick lines and i was like i wonder if they know that that happened and they're kind of like paying homage to their ancestors so to speak you know as far as like i wonder if they knew that that happened and they just like replicated this all over it's not that they were engaging in a riot but um just kind of pulling history to the forefront and um whether they knew it or not that 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 happened and that was really uh really powerful thing to witness and smiles on their faces and people cheering and the chants and singing and um you said community and that that is what I overall left with was this sense of like, I feel like I just witnessed something really important. Um, Whether it makes a difference or not. um, I just witnessed something that, that changed me at least. You were part of something that changed. You were part of it. You know what I mean? I I was, yes. (laughs) Like, so there are just, there are folks who come and they engage and and I was talking to you about that. Like there are going to be people that specifically come um, and they know that they're getting arrested. They plan for that. But you're still part of that action. Like right. you still are part of that history. You're still part of the day. So uh, um, October 8th, when folks gathered in front of the Supreme Court, you're part of that history, no matter yeah. if you got arrested or not. So there was a video that I saw and it was it was a news and it was like the news headline read over a dozen people got arrested and I was like try over like a hundred because I'm pretty sure you know and but then somebody's video was on the opposite side of the street that we were on and I watched it pan and I paused it and I was like oh we're right there you and I were on this this side and I was like oh that's so cool so and I imagine that had the streets not been lined with people that were also chanting and cheering and singing um that that would not have been as powerful you know mm-hmm. so um i appreciate you saying that (laughs) no problem so let's you know let's talk a little bit about like behavioral principles because i'll say one thing aaron uh and i've said it on the podcast before like i've i've done the social justice stuff for so long and for me merging two worlds together um has been something that i'm trying to do but it's not anything that came natural so while we were at the protest, the action or whatever, Aaron, you were like, well, what's the function? And I was like, okay, Aaron, you're right. What is the function? But my mind <laughs> was not thinking about behavioral function um, during this protest. So I do want us to talk a little bit about behavioral principles that were present because Aaron, you were thinking the entire time. <laughs> well, Yes. And it's interesting because I do come from a very like observer perspective. Like I don't, I sit back and I watch a lot and 
I take a lot of videos, as you saw, mm-hmm. <laughs> commented on how much phone, like space my phone must have. Uh, but that's, I just naturally have always taken that perspective. Like, I don't think I chanted or, or cheered or anything once, but it's just like, I'm almost there like capturing. The, I, I don't know if I can't just do two things at once or if it's just, I don't know what it was, but so I'm sitting there and I'm analyzing what's happening. And I recognize there were, there were two different things happening. There were two groups of people with two different sets of beliefs engaging in like group behavior right Mm -hmm. but then on an individual level there were these interactions that were happening against the two sides and both were serving or attempting to serve let's say the same function Mm -hmm. but i really don't think they were (laughs) i don't know if you Mm -hmm. what would your analysis be um I Where think we'd have to, to define. Let's yeah, we'd have to define what those behaviors look like first of all. Mm-hmm. I think. Okay. So, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the counter protesters as one group, with the protesters as another? Yes. Or okay. yeah, yeah. Let's start there. Okay. So those are the two groups engaging in group behavior. So you know that. And then we had, uh, I know there were two incidents that we could talk about today for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Let's first talk about the guy, though. Let's talk about him first. The guy and the girl that were together. Yeah. Um, so what had happened, because Denisha explained that our the two groups were right beside each other. Like, we couldn't even tell that they were two separate groups at first. But as we walked to kind of the midline, the section, you could see there was a a dividing line where the two groups met. And when we saw there was a, on the counter-protester side, um, two individuals, and they were engaging with our side. And they they were holding a banner, or they were behind a banner. And then on our side, there was a flag that was kind of blocking out the banner with two people turned around to their backs. Was that what you witnessed when you kind of walked up to mm-hmm. this whole thing? Yeah. Okay. Um, and the counter protesters, and I'm going to the best of my ability, not let emotion come into this and in my opinion, but just describe objectively what I saw. Um, but I saw this guy with a, v- almost like this, uh, that's my hang on. It was, was a smiling. smirk. It was a smile. A, smart, a smile. Thank you. I was about mm-hmm. ready to like <laughs> sinister look on his face. <laughs> it was it, it. If I want to talk about the feeling it gave me, it was like it was it was not not good at all. Um, oh, but there was almost like the sense of enjoyment that he was like you could tell his behavior was heavily being reinforced, and we can talk about the extinction burst that we witnessed too. Like I don't know if you saw it or if you had walked away at that point. Um, but so verbally engaging, um, the protesters. So our side, if you want to say quote unquote, our side, um, and smiling like camera up in people's faces. Um, anytime we would make like a chant or something like that, he would come back and intentionally misgender or, um, so one of the chants was trans women are women, essentially saying that we belong in the same space as um as women and that gender is self-selected and you know and but and then he would come back and say trans women are dudes and 
And so that was intentionally hurtful, intentionally with a smile on his face, yelling back um, alongside another individual who's doing the exact same thing. Um, And so because we are being threatened, you know, we, that's reinforcing for him. But then on our side, we have people that are also verbally engaging as well. And, and now these people are locked in like these individual interactions and engagements. Yeah. So that's, (laughs) that's what happened. Um, And then, so reinforcement definitely from both sides. I mean, I would imagine, um, any, any sort of interaction is going to be reinforcing mm-hmm. in some way. Right. Right. Um, so like whether it's positive or negative, cause like for the folks on our side, obviously like this aversive is present. And so want to make it go away. some of them, they want to make it go away. They want us to go over in the past, maybe for them. And, you know, obviously we don't know these people personally, but maybe in the past you can get rid of someone that's being aversive to you mm-hmm. by yelling in their face and telling them to F off. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that was happening, um, in that moment, or, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's in the past, you know, um, I don't know, maybe there were things that they wanted to say, um, to that person. So that that's what they added to the environment. I'm not sure. But, um, <laughs> well, I think too, like at times, like your silence becomes, allows that behavior to continue happening in that person and that is like that that hurts you know you want to make that stop you want to escape that and sometimes we don't know how to do anything so that's where that kind of yeah counteraction that counteraction comes from you know yeah Um, when bria was here we were talking about like rage and like you know people you know we we brought in the skinner perspective and when there's a versus present like people are going to engage in behaviors to get rid of the aversive and we talked about that from like a governmental control aspect um and it it definitely could have been like a little bit of that and i think about like how when we are working with a client you know there's certain uh topographies of behavior that occur and we're you know we focus on like the function obviously so i think for folks in that space maybe who are trying to get him to go away unfortunately what's not happening is there's not a recognition that oh this is what the man wants this Mm. is probably what he wants and you know even though i want you to go away um me saying something to you is keeping you here longer possibly possibly if that's the function because like you said he had a smile on his face and it looked like he was enjoying it we don't know his yeah. um, individual motivators. Like we don't know what was underlying that. And so I feel like uh, it could like he, his behavior could be mediated by himself. Like, even if you ignored him, he probably could have sat there and been like, Oh, our men. Ha 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 ha. And like, right. that would have been enough for him to just stay there and be hateful. And, and, and to me, that's me talking as a person, obviously. And I stay all the time, like, you know, um, Nonviolence is not my goal, not not my goal too, because I practice Kenyan nonviolence as a, a philosophy with my organizing, but it's not natural for me. And and, and I want to take some time to like talk about that tonight. Like when you hear me say that, what that means, because I don't want people to take away like, oh, Denisha's going to like haul off and hit someone or anything like that. Because that's not what I mean when I say nonviolence is not my go to. When I say nonviolence is not my natural go to, it just means like we say you confront the forces of evil, not the people doing evil, right? And so 
when I see people like that, I'm just like, oh, it's really hard for me to perspective take because in that moment, I'm like, I don't understand how people could be so hateful. So I'm looking at them as that person. And yes, I do have like an overarching view on things because I always look at the system, but I'm still looking at those people like what the heck is wrong with them. And so that is what I mean when I say that I'm not naturally nonviolent because I see those people as, you know, creating suffering for other individuals. And it's really hard for me to, to be compassionate towards people like that. And that is not what Kenya nonviolence is about. They're about establishing a community and having courageous conversations with folks. And I'd be like, I'm not talking to nobody. Um, so <laughs> I just want to give some context to that. Cause you will, you know, I've said it a few times on the show already. So I just want to make sure to clear that up. And I definitely said it at the March, um, at the action yesterday too. Yeah. But to go back to what we were talking about <laughs> but, I just went on a tangent. No, no, no. That's perfect because I think that that's what happens with a lot of people is um, like they just feel like they can't that that when they come into contact with people who are being just downright hateful, that to be quiet in that moment is. I don't want to say like a sign of weakness, but it's like that doesn't come natural to them, and that by being silent in that moment, they're allowing that to to be okay and that's not always necessarily the case i completely get it but what had happened with this guy was i think everybody kind of on uh, uh, the protesters like calm down they raised the flag up to block him out mm -hmm. and so then his phone came up over top and then he's down underneath trying to instigate and so we talk about extinction bursts and when you mm -hmm. put people in extinction you stop giving them what they want then they start engaging in all this behavioral variability to get back that reinforcement that they're trying to get. And so I watched that happen with that. And then the other people that we can talk about too, that yeah. continued, there was, there was a two people that kind of went from pot of people to pot, to instigate with them. And the second, like they would get shut down from one group, they would go to another one and then they would go to the next one. And then they would go to the next one to like preach their hate, so to speak, or the, you know, yeah. um, so why don't you, do you, do you briefly describe that? Yeah, I'll describe the second one. Um, all right. So we have these two women. Um, for context, I do feel like it's necessary to give context to who they are. Um, did you, you felt like that was an important um, Definitely. description? Okay. So Definitely. we have two women from uh, England. They were, um, or Britain. They were both British, um, two lesbian women um, that were there, and they were counter-protesters on a day that we are discussing LGBTQ rights. They are there. And the lesbian piece is important because that was part of their argument. So Yes. And, um, and so I felt, yeah, that correct. I just felt like it was ironic um, that two of the cases that we're talking about actually has something to do with sexual orientation. Um, and one of the cases has something to do with um, transgender rights. And to me personally, before I get into the objective part of things, it just seems really odd uh, for people to be, you know, at like you rather not have rights because you have so much uh, to say or against a particular group that's part of your community. Um, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they're hearing all of these cases together. Mm -hmm. That should say something. My caveat next. <laughs> um, so these two women were walking around um, to groups of people and they were saying, you know, whatever their issue was with transgender people. And um, there was a young boy that was, you know, 
going back and forth with them initially. Um, and, you know, they were exchanging words. And so then these people, at this point, I walked there, like, because we were right there anyway. And I felt for me that I was, I held privilege in a sense, because I was in this small area that we were in, the only straight, heterosexual, cisgender woman, like, with those two privileges. And so I felt like maybe I should step in and say something. And so what I said to this person was, we're standing here under the Supreme Court and it says equal justice under law. There are no caveats to that, period, in the sentence. <laughs> and um, and that initiated another, another conversation. So I gave this woman the attention that she was looking for from different groups. And, and she actually was mandating for information, like, you know, making requests. She wants, I don't know. Is that, do you feel like she was mandating for information? Like she wanted to know more information? No, maybe not. I had a really, so this is one of my other, I have a hard time like processing auditory stimuli. I could not hear a word she was saying. So okay. I had to like come back and talk to you all. Um, and I was hoping the camera that I, cause I was videoing it a little bit, like at least her, like trying to maybe then go back and be able to hear what she was saying. Um, but the one thing I did not hear, I did not hear her asking for any information. That doesn't mean that okay. she did. Yeah. All right. So I do take that back because I don't feel like she was manning for information. I'll get to the point where there was a man for information that, and that's the one that, you know, ticked me off. But, um, so she's saying these, this, this piece of information, she's not getting, I guess, the response that she's looking for, which is for people to come to her side of things, for, for us to listen, um, and say that we agree with what she's saying. Um, and I'll get to you to say like why I felt like that's what she was looking for. Um, we saw some increase, some behavioral variability. She kept switching her statements. Like, you know, she started in one spot and then moved to, well, let's talk about what's next, you know? And I actually don't want to repeat some of the stuff she said for yeah. our listeners. There, was... <laughs> there are like some stereo, I don't want to say stereotypical, but if you ever have an argument about sexuality or gender or anything with an LGBTQ, there's always these leaps that people will make to the next assumption that that is the next argument. And it's like, well, if we have to say that this okay, well, then, then this next thing is going to be okay. And it's just this outrageous leap that people always make. Um, and if you know anything, yeah, it's not worth repeating, but it's like, it's this outrageous and it, and it makes the people that you're talking about that you're arguing for, it makes them seem it's so, it is the most demeaning argument that you could make. And I don't know if they make that to be that hurtful or what, but it's like when that came out, I was like, I'm done. Like, there's no, I know at that point, there's no, mm -hmm. right, there's no conversation you're going to be able to have. So I had that same thought process, like, and at this point, I actually didn't say anything past that there are no caveats. She stood there, she was talking for the entire time. And, you know, Kristen um, said mm -hmm. a few things as well. And I'm just standing there um, at this point. Then the other woman who was um, also a woman of color, but um, she's not, she's not a black uh, person um, outwardly. I'm not sure where she's from, but um, she turns to me in particular and I felt like this was obviously intentional because this whole time we're having conversations, they're speaking about the community, but never once, Aaron, and correct me if I'm wrong, did they turn to you specifically and say, you, blah, 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 you, this. Well, this person turns to me and says, 
well then can they be and like so I'll, I'll say it on the show I don't know if I need to but like I was the only person of color in our group. I was the only black person. And so this person intentionally sought that out, I felt like, and literally was like, hey, you black girl, then mm-hmm. if you believe in transgender rights, can they, the people you're with, can they be black? And I mean, I initially was like, are you kidding me? Are you? Right. I was so... I was offended because as another person of color, like you already know what's up Mm -hmm. and you did that intentionally. And I felt like, what was that about? You didn't feel the need to like single-handedly point to anyone else in this group, but you Mm -hmm. did that to me. Um, And so, and just like them being a person of color and knowing what that's like, and obviously they're from Britain, so maybe they uh, they don't know what that's like, but being a person up in this country, there are a lot of black and brown kids who, you know, grow up with internal hatred for their own skin and, you know, obviously us not having the same rights. And for you to say something like that um, just was, it was demeaning. And it, it was like, you tried that on purpose. And, and and at that moment, I felt like you, obviously, my, my humanity was less seen, right? Because you felt like you could, you could bring that amount of uh, intensive, like, labor on me in that moment. So I initially was like, obviously reacted. And I was like, wow, you know, I am done. Like at first I was like, I am so offended that you as a person of color, but then eventually I was like, stop talking. Don't mm-hmm. say anything else to me. I have nothing else to say to you. And I don't know if you gathered this cause you just talked about auditory processing and stuff. But um, when she said to me, Oh yeah, I don't want to argue with you. I didn't hear that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So uh... to me, I felt like she was saying, oh yeah, I don't want to argue with this black woman because she's going to get violent or she's going to hit me or something like, you know, like for me, it was like a filling in the blank because there was already some anti, like, obviously you have, like, there's some extra stuff going on here. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and the way that she said it, I was just like, okay, I'm done. I'm really done. I didn't see that at all. I saw you talking to the other lady um, about the, like the color of your skin, something like that. And like, I think you said something like you can't change that. I don't remember what, what, mm-hmm. what did you say? She said, so what is race? Cause she, she uh, piggybacked yes. off her partner. So basically if you're saying that they can't become black, then so what is race? And I'm like, come on now. Race is a social construct. We know that. However, mm-hmm. you know, good and good and well that you do not have, cannot create, do not create melanin in your skin. You cannot be black. And I said, there's no amount of spray tan that will make you black, Mm -hmm. period. And um, yeah, but that was it after her. Uh, No, after after she said it. And then the other woman was saying, because I think what they were, obviously they were trying to draw the connection that gender and race are social constructs. So blah, blah, blah. Um, We don't have an argument here. And I'm like, and you're not going to get me to come to hear your side of things by trying to even espouse that um type right. of argument so i i definitely shut down in that moment yeah yeah I, and it's hard because again you were saying like you're not, you're not non-violent by nature and it's not that violence is aggression like physical aggression or anything like that but like in that like i could i could see when you're saying non-violence is like having compassion for somebody else 
how in that moment it's it feels impossible and i would imagine that that takes a lot of practice <laughs> superhuman self-control that i don't have right. <laughs> and i will admit that well i, I think not superhuman right well it's being honest i mean gosh i mean it's uh i don't know yeah i kind of just stood back i had a really hard time hearing what what was happening um yeah and i know you and kristen were both saying things and you were doing more listening or and at some point they said something about um I don't even know if I want to like if we want to talk about their specific arguments, but it just regardless, it just didn't make any sense. And they were saying that like transgender rights don't like they're we're separate people, so to speak. Like we are not um, like trans women or trans men are not men or women. They are transgender, which is a whole separate subset, which is then not covered under whatever Title Seven is protecting. Mm -hmm that was what I kind of took away from their argument. Um, That's a great you know? synopsis. That was their yeah? argument. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, after talking to you all, like that was, that's what I was kind of gathering. And then it made connection with the signs that said sex, not gender. And, and then all the speeches that, that, that they were kind of, um, that the counter protesters were, were saying one was linking to title nine with um, female sports and um, you know, this high school, high school kid standing up saying, I don't want some boy standing over top of me. That's knocked me down on a soccer field. And I like, I, I can't, that like, that's one of the things I'm still trying to process, I think, cause that was the hardest part for me was to hear, um, you know, this kid standing up there saying all of those things and intentionally misgendering. I think that's fine. Like I get the whole, if you want to argue sports and, um, trans people and that's but when you start to intentionally hate somebody with the speech that you're using and the language mm -hmm. you're using that it takes it to a whole other level um and yeah it, it was like you said very emotionally um charged situation for sure so those were kind of the individual behaviors but that's what we saw was like um the and you even talk like with the language, the extinction burst, like they didn't want you to leave that conversation. So their extinction burst was jumping to these outrageous arguments yep. to intentionally hurt and to, to demean, to keep you there, to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. And then to continue arguing. That's, that was my take on that. Uh, yeah, it was a good take on that. I yeah. think, and, and like I said, typically like they get no attention from me or like, and I don't know if I've seen individuals and in, like intentionally like going at protests that I've been in, like obviously like more, most of the group sticks with the group and there could always be like individuals who might go over and engage counter protesters, but I've never actually um, been in their space in that way. Cause mm -hmm. I'm not, and that's just me personally. Like I don't even feel the need to have a conversation, even with the work that like I do, I don't have conversation with, with people that are intentionally hateful. Like I have conversations with people who have, you know, are, are apathetic right. um, or, you know, are complicit in a way where maybe they haven't recognized their privileges. That's a different um, place to yes. be in for me. And that's something that I can handle a little bit more emotionally, but to have to have a conversation with someone who specifically 
wants to see the demise of other people. I can't, ooh, I can't take that on. And I think that's the point where I stood back and I was like, what is the point of engaging individually? And it was like, those interactions, the people that were talking to you all, the guy that was engaging with the other side, they're not there to listen to anybody. They're not there to learn. You can even go and you can have protest your heart out over here. You're there to hurt people. And it's like the second we start to give that attention on an individual level, it for me at least the perspective that I had, it was giving it power and it was mm -hmm. feeding it and it was reinforcing all of their behavior. And it's like, what can you do in that moment that that would be different? Like, how do you shut that down? Like you said, they could be, they could have like their own internal reinforcers um, and just be great over there. I'm standing here. I'm holding my truth. You know, that's my value is to be here and show up and I can say anything hateful that I want to say and not have any other social attention whatsoever, social engagement from anybody. But um, for those people who are seeking other people out, like to me, it was like, just turn your backs. Like, don't even look at them. Don't engage, you know, don't mm -hmm. give them what, and it's how do you teach people? That's what they want. Yeah. And you know what? And, and even if it's not what they want, cause right. Even if they, there are self-mediating consequences for them, like they can, you know, come in into contact with reinforcement on their own. Just do yourself a favor, like take care of yourself in a way that, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to intentionally undergo these aversive conditions, um, especially something, especially when it's already like aversive, like the fact that you have to show up there anyway, the fact that you have to be there in the first place. Um, and so I think that would be the only thing that I would have to say for listeners who are in, you know, going to interact in any type of action in the future is just like help yourself by staying away like i would tell you to avoid that if you know please avoid it by all means but that's just me um yeah because we really don't know i mean we can talk to ourselves and different things that we say to ourselves can increase our behaviors or decrease other behaviors so for me, not to say all is um, hopeless for everybody, but um, just know that there could be some more powerful things happening for the individual. Um, and so even if you feel the need to stand up for yourself in that way, um, there could, you know, there are probably other things that they're telling themselves that's going to outweigh what you have to say to them in that moment. Yeah. And that's where I started to feel conflicted too, because I was like, well, wait a minute, like, then that's where I started thinking about Stonewall. I was like, mm -hmm. but that's how we got here. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, but that wasn't on an individual level necessarily. That That's where we're talking about a whole group of people rising up and yeah. coming together. And, and so that's where I started to think on the individual level versus the group level. And that's why that civil disobedience, that's why showing up and forming a community and standing there and bringing your accomplices and solidarity or you know however and then having people for us like virtually um you know on the internet or wherever they are uh you know and and rising up that way versus yeah. that individual um battle that you're not that you're not gonna win you know it's not a conversation that there's no learning happening there yeah 
Um, I'm trying to recall a quote in my head about, um, and it might have been either MLK or Angela Davis, I'm not sure, but they talk about like the the battles are won in groups, like together. It's, it's never. All the leaders that we've studied, you can talk mm-hmm. about them as a leader, but they did not do that alone. They have never done it alone. There are always people behind them. That's why we call it a movement. This is not right. a person, an individual. And so recognize there are power in numbers and all, you know, stick with community. And that's how we get it. Like we weren't we were having that conversation and you know, we were talking about individual versus group and the group dynamic, the group um actions together really moves the needles. And not to say like, you know, folks having conversations on a day-to-day basis with both you know with relatives or neighbors like we're not saying don't don't engage in individual behaviors at all because those are important definitely in your own communities but Mm -hmm. during like actions like this to remember that you you have the most power with the group that you're in that's why you're there together right right it's a perfect way to put that from like what i saw yesterday definitely um Yeah, I would imagine like it, everybody just turned around, you know, on those people and just started chanting like they did. That's I mean, whenever like one of the counter protesters, like they would start to give a speech and they would hear something hateful in that speech, they'd come back with a chant that would kind of drown them out, so to speak. And that was um, I was like that. That's that seems more productive is to be loud, to drown them out so nobody can hear, you know, I don't know if you. (laughs) agree with that in a sense or if that's even possible all the time but it's like make yeah your louder than theirs. <laughs> i think that's why i've never like really even had a situation with counter protests we're always louder than them mm-hmm. like we see them but like they can't outpower us and you know people who uh, decided to like cover flags and they were stepping over to put their signs up and block their signs and stuff like that those were uh you know that was intentional um but definitely we as a group could just drown them out. Um, and I was asking the question earlier. Um, and I looked it up while we were sitting here about DC and their, in their permits for the Supreme court, you don't have to have a, a permit. You just can't go on the steps and they do prefer that you give them a heads up, but you, you could protest anywhere. So that's what happened. I think those people chose to be right there. Um, because that's where they wanted, you know, obviously they wanted to agitate. So, um, okay. but yeah, drown them out. We can do that as a group. There's going to be more of us than there is of them. Probably everywhere you go. So there were creative ones too. Like there, you know, cause they had the counter protesters had their pink signs and I, there were, there were a couple kids that were running around with hand, like homemade stickers uh, that said trans rights or human rights. And they would just as sly as possible, just reach up and like, put it on their sign and then just like ghosts just disappear out of nowhere and they would have no idea that their sign had just been transformed into something i was like that is so clever and it's not hateful i mean whether you want to say you're you know getting into somebody's personal whatever that looks like but i was like that's a creative way to <laughs> to not um engage in some like negative interaction and um you know i don't yeah. know it was it was really <laughs> i don't know it was it was it was good. It was perfect timing that I saw that happen. It was right after you all had kind of engaged um, mm-hmm. those two ladies. And that was, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah. But yeah. I wanted to ask you a question. I know we have, okay. we've, we're over time, but mm-hmm. maybe we can spend some time on it just before we go. Cause I feel like um, it might be important or maybe it's not important, 
But one thing that I noticed is um, that the binary was present yesterday. Um, I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously my my sign said um, rise up with black women, black trans women. And that was intentional because of the amount of uh, trans murders that have happened this year with literally everyone but one being a woman of color. And so I was intentional about that. But, you know, we chanted literally all day, trans women are women, trans women are women, trans women are women. And then there was one chant that said trans men are men. Um, but, you know, I, and I, I just wondered about that. Like, um, is that something that, you know, was noticeable to others? Um, is that something that matters? Did that make the space feel less inclusive or are that people, people's um, voices were left out of that day? Um, and I kind of just wanted to talk about it a little bit. It, yeah. So, um, I, I talk about this a lot and even within, so I, I mean, I can say I identify like non-binary. Yes. So f for those of you who don't know, um, that means identifying outside of the gender binary of man and woman, male, female, however you want to define that. Um, and so what ends up happening with with transgender individuals is that that our assumption when we hear trans is that okay it was a man that's transitioning to a woman or vice versa and it's still within that binary system and being somebody that's outside of that um we don't even feel sometimes i don't i say we i don't know if i should say we but i don't and i've heard of other people's experiences saying um you know if you think of transgender that means deviating away from the gender that you were assigned at birth. Um, and that's why I feel like I'm part of that community. However, um, it's not like we don't even feel at times we fit into that community. And I say we, I'm not speaking for the whole gender, but I, I've heard several people say that. Um, just went to a conference in Philly and that was a, a big theme that came out of that. And I actually came out feeling very, uh, what's the word? justified in my feelings because other people had had that same feeling saying, mm -hmm. you know, we can't even get acceptance within the trans community being non-binary. And so hearing all of that yesterday, it was, it was like it, it, the sense of like invisibility is still there and it's not something that's being talked about. It's not something that people fully understand. Um, while people, you get people that don't understand trans experience and they don't agree with it. They don't, they can wrap their head around that. They cannot wrap their head around, what do you mean? There's only two genders. What do you mean there's something outside of that? That for people is is really hard to grasp at times. And, and so you do, you end up being, um, at least I feel uh, like not like invisible at times. Like it's like, I feel like I was there fighting for somebody else. Hmm. Um, which is which is good it's part it's it's whether you want to say it's progress i almost like kind of don't even like saying it's progress because it's kind of like this you know we'll get there one day kind of thing and i'm like damn it like <laughs> then we need to be there now um but when we are watching people get arrested uh somebody was actually waving the non-binary flag across the street and i was like oh 
my people are here like somebody you know and and then i'm like i sh i should have been that like i should have been that person why didn't i have a flag why did you know and so it's like next time i will make sure but there were a couple signs that were around there but just in terms and i don't know if that's because like the the court case that was being heard so i tried not to put too much focus on that um just knowing while we were there and then I think a lot of the trans women are women chants were coming from overcoming the speeches mm -hmm. that were that were happening and I would notice that it was like the title nine when when um they were saying something about locker rooms or something like that and boys shouldn't be allowed in girls locker rooms talking about trans girls shouldn't be allowed those boys quote unquote is what they were saying and then the chance would start so i tried just to like say okay that's that's where that's coming from but no i did i'm glad you picked that up because it was mm -hmm. it was very um uh binary in the sense um of of those chants but um we have a long yeah. way to go even with understanding mm -hmm. i think like i have a friend from college and um so she is uh, gender fluid and pronouns are flexible. So mm -hmm. could go by she, could go by he. Um, you could see one weekend, um, you know, dressed up in um, what we know societally equaling to like female woman. The next weekend could dress up to what we know society, societally being, uh, you know, men. And so, you know, I think about it from the perspective of, um even incorporating those voices right like the fluidity of it all and i don't know if there's obviously to me that kind of seems like you know i've talked to uh, if you ever like sat in on a workshop of mine like border groups and stuff because obviously there could be some privilege over like other folks that are like non-binary even within the community um because you have you have the flexibility to decide not decide but like her words are you know um for them it's like no preference and they find themselves going back and forth between and but that's been who i've known since college so um so yeah i'm just i'm thinking about that um and thinking about all the perspectives um that we have even yet to really mm -hmm. even tap into in terms of the community so um yeah yeah there was a shirt that was going around for a while uh, that says the future is female which i love mm -hmm. don't get me wrong but I was like, I need to make one that says the future is gender expansive or something like that. And just says <laughs> like that, that is our future is, um, is something that goes beyond this, this binary. And that is, um, cause you're talking about expansive, you, you talk about all these different types of genders. Um, after the protest, actually I teach at Shenandoah university, which is a little, um, university up in Winchester, Virginia. And, uh, they host these dinner dialogues. They have a mosaic center. It's so their diversity center. It's so cool. The, the, the things that they do, they've been instrumental in getting like gender neutral bathrooms and changing um, like, uh, like safe zone trainings and um, like pronouns on applications and just a whole bunch of things. And that they're still like moving towards these things, but they had asked me to be a part of a one on gender. And one of the first questions that somebody asked is like, so how many genders are there? And I was like, that's, there's, there's no answer to that. Like, if you think about a spectrum, you don't divide that up into these sections and say, okay, if you're in this spectrum, you're going to fit right here, you know, and it's not, it's not like that. And so people have a really hard time understanding that. And I think we've got a long way to go in terms of um, being able to accept this, 
uh, embrace the, I don't even like the word accept, embrace this expansive um, nature when it comes to, when it comes to gender. Yeah, I like that. Um, gender expansive. I've always said future is uh, non-binary as a mm-hmm. rebuttal, um, but I like, I like that, the expansive piece. Right, because it, cool. yeah, it brings, it brings every, it's just, it, it expands and it doesn't leave this an option. It's mm-hmm. just means, like wherever it goes, it goes. Right. You know, there's no end. There's no definite. Um, I like gen is non-binary. I like that too because that fits. And it's like gender expansive. It's just like this. Uh, I like. Our- I really like. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say <laughs> yeah. that as a rebuttal now. Nice. I think that's. I think that's very. Um, that's fully encompassing, like you said. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. I know we had a lot of things on our notes to get to. This was, um, I know we didn't get to everything, <laughs> but that's okay. No, we did get to a lot. Um, like I said, I think there's still a lot of, uh, processing that has to happen with this. Um, and it's, and then it's like, all right, what's next? I, I already found myself doing that. I put on my bucket list. I was like, I'm going to be arrested one day when I don't have to worry about, like you said, licensure or certification or anything like that. And I was like, like that, watching them sit there and, and be a part of that. Um, you know, I, I, there, there definitely was a desire to be a part in that way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. One day when we are done with, you know, this clinical work and we don't need background checks anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, there are a few elderly members out there and, you know, they were sitting down, even though when they stood up, their knees were shaking and their bones are aching. They were right there. And I was like, that's going to be me. Yes. By that time, hopefully I'll be retired, but I won't be retired as an activist. Well, yeah, I won't be retired as an activist, unfortunately. I know that I activate now for the future generations. And I know that's how our ancestors thought as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be out there. Definitely. I love that. Well, Aaron, I am so glad that, you know, you got your first <laughs> taste of, you know, uh, non-violent action, civil disobedience, protest, whatever. I'm so glad that you were able to experience that. And I'm so happy that I was, you know, and I'm grateful that I was able to be there with you um, during that time. I'm grateful you were as well as actually, I almost echo what Megan said is just learning about yourself. Um, but it starts with you, but learning about yourself, um, like, um, figuring out what your biases are. There's tests out there that you can take to, to figure that out. Um, you know, and, and reading, um, you know, there's tons of podcasts out there too, like learning about what culture humility is and the benefit of that. Um, I think is just, it's really small things, but it's, it's, it's had this enormous impact on the way that I, I talk to people or the way that I recognize when things kind of show up. Um, and then also too, like I used to be really afraid to speak up about things, um, whether it was online or in person, um, in person is still a challenge. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that will come. I'm sure. But, um, but I think it's, it's, in a kind and compassionate way and just saying, well, from my perspective or from somebody else's perspective, this might be, um, you know, how this is viewed. And I would encourage you to 
just just be open to that. This is here. This is like what you said hurt, you know, or, um, you know, it's it's harmful when you say things like that or, or you know, it, it doesn't matter what it is. I think it's just um, speaking up in a compassionate way, too, but also like not silence, you know, silence does damage a lot of times. So. Um, but yeah. Aaron, sorry, you made me think of one more thing. Ha. <laughs> so you said, we both said, you know, um, speaking up, but also what you said there about when, when you give feedback, like if you're the one receiving the feedback, listen, and you, you both sure, mentioned that numerous times, but it's hard, man. It's hard to just listen and not become <laughs> reactive and defensive about something, but listen, reflect on about it. Think what you can do better next time, whether you and the other person may agree or disagree about your actual intentions and whatnot, but something about what you did had a negative effect on that person. So how can you do it differently and better next time? Right. Yeah, definitely. We um, have this saying like intention versus impact, right? And so you can mean well, there are a lot of well-meaning folks, well-intentioned folks out there, but the impact that it had on the listener, um, it might've been hurtful and harmful. And so recognizing that one, never going to be perfect. No matter what your intention was behind it, you still could have hurt someone. And when that happens, like, what are the steps that you take? Um, I think that's great. I, um, you know, folks, this isn't fully behavior analytic, but um, I think that it can help. And um, the word I'm thinking of is, you know, for behavioral cusp, um, it'll <laughs> open you up to new contingencies. Um, but I, I feel like you can start by finding out what you're passionate about, right? Um, and hopefully you let that be intersectional. Um, I hear a lot of times where folks are like, I'm really passionate about this one particular thing. And it's like, oh, great. And then how do we incorporate other voices into that same conversation? So I hope that you find what you're passionate about. If, you're say, if you say, I'm really passionate about climate, then I hope that you can let that be intersectional. And what I mean by that um, is recognizing who's the most impacted. Like there are people that are um, impacted by climate change. Who are these folks? And then um, that allows you to incorporate more people's voices in, in that. Um, hopefully, once you find out what you're passionate about, you can get training in that area by, you know, on the ground training. Folks that are actually doing this work, they aren't behavior analysts. They've been in the, in the trenches. They're doing this and they can inform you about this type of um, whatever your passion is. And so I think that can help us to start to kind of generalize what we're learning about this one thing that we really care about and put it in other ways um, and, and put it um, in other areas. So I think that's one. Um, there is a Facebook group and this isn't about um, the full uh, plethora of all social justice, but there's a Facebook group called Be the Bridge, um, which I think they are able to mirror what it looks like to have uncomfortable conversations, to actually listen when you are the person who holds privilege to marginalized voices. Um, so I think they do a really great job. So that could be something that our listeners could join um, on Facebook. Um, if you are concerned about like behavior analytic stuff, there's not so much, but we do have things. And um, when we had Megan on, she talked about, you know, some of the, um, authors that we have, but, you know, you can look up Elizabeth Hughes-Fong, Sigrid Glenn, um, Hayes, um, Skinner, obviously, <laughs> just to name a few, like starting with them, um, the work that they've done on either diversity, uh, bias, um, justice, and talking about Skinner. Um, he talked about government stuff, but still it led back to justice. Um, 
Yeah. Um, another thing we can do is make sure that we're citing folks that have been marginalized, not leaving them out of the conversations. If you're, if you've heard their work, if you're using their work, cite it. Um, because, you know, on the back end, there are folks who, um, that are from these groups that have been doing the work and they're not getting peer reviews, but you're, if we're acknowledging that their voices are uh, useful, cite them. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there are so many other ways, uh, things that we can do. Um, but that's where I'll start with, I guess for now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could have a whole nother episode, like every other week where you update that for an hour or longer. <laughs> oh, definitely. The last thing I'll say is organizational stuff. Aaron and I have conversations um, about organizational things. I really grind my gears over time. But um, I think one thing that you can do if you are on the leadership level or um, any type of level, honestly, but um, if, if your organization is making decisions, right, I hope that we can, as analysts and folks who say that we care about this type of stuff, peel back the layers, right? Um, think about who benefits, who's being left out. Um, and so that comes up in so many different ways. If I am servicing this part of an area specifically, like who am I not servicing? Who am I saying is deserving of those services? So just thinking about things like that, like, oh, we only service this particular area because it is, what's the makeup of that? What's the reason behind that? Do you feel really comfortable putting your staff there or putting your organization there? So kind of thinking about those things and um, I say it all the time, but we, we should um, be considering those who are often left out of the conversation when we are making those larger decisions. That's it and that's all. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the time. I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that much time had gone by. <laughs> yeah. Fast. Wow. I know well, there were other homework? things. But yeah, I know there were other things. Maybe we'll have to have you all back on at some point. Or um, Megan, what really... Real fast before homework, which when you said something, Denisha, about um, passion um, earlier, Megan, you had said something about the Time's Up um, movement. And so if, um, I, I don't know, is that something that's still like in the works? Like, is that well, that could be so, something. Yeah, that was another um, back a couple. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I did create like a group and whatnot, but just allocation of time. It's an area that if you're doing, if you're doing something, I will call you on it type deal. I can, I really only have like the bandwidth to, um, try to naturally occurring opportunities right now. I, um, we tried to create a group to have, um, create like white papers and different activities and things, but I just didn't have the bandwidth to lead that. Um, so if anyone is passionate about that, I have some system set up if they, are listening to this episode and would like to take over the leadership of that. Um, if they're looking for a project, I can, you know, give you all of the info and, and the things could get going on that. It was kind of unfortunate because we had a little bit of steam, you know, back in um, 2018 when some of the things were happening and we, I contacted a lot of entities, but didn't really hear back. Um, but there is still a lot of work that needs to be done organizationally, especially on that front of like people, or groups incorporating training in that area too. Yeah. Whole different subject, <laughs> but Definitely. yeah, I think the times up movement is a good um, example of what I was saying earlier, like, you know, um, intersectionality. And I, I don't know if you all remember what happened with that. And it was like, Oh, time's up. And then the me too movement. And then we recognized that the conversation had been um, 
push forward uh, prior. And so making sure that some of those voices are coming into that, that's a good example that we saw on like a larger scale of being intersectional with our messaging and the work that we put Mm -hmm. out. But I think that's a great call to action. So if we have anyone listening that feels very um, passionate about that, Dr. Miller is your person. Yep. (laughs) Hand it over. (laughs) Yeah. So delegate. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you can't do everything, you know? No. Yeah. So at the end of every episode, we always give people homework. Um, and so I, I had written down for them to go check out your podcast and join the Facebook group uh, if they're if they're interested in that. Um, but also to get familiar with like their school and organizational training on culture. Um, you know, we asked you all about that. And it's like find the pockets or the deficits that you might have. Um, you know, if if you didn't get some of this, go find it figure it out you know um you can't just wait for it to come to you um and then like i said if if you're in a position like denisha keeps saying if you're in a position of power to do something about that like start doing something you know small steps whatever that is um and then to again do the work yourself so um you know we always talk about whether it's following certain instagram accounts or anything like that but um i just think in terms of of this like joining the facebook group um you know for the do better movement would be just like the perfect it's simple anybody can join a facebook page you know <laughs> yeah so yep. denisha did you have anything else or no, megan or joe did you have anything that you wanted to tell people to go do yeah, i think we've told them lots of things to do <laughs> um, i actually did think of, of one if you went to a school where this was covered or you received training where this was actually a topic, give shout outs to those and, you know, comment that on either, you know, the beautiful humans podcast or in the do better group, because those, those entities need to be recognized and, you know, modeled or imitated. So um, definitely need to know if those are out there where they are and what they are. (laughs) So I had someone tell me actually over the weekend that Wayne state is one of them that tries to recognize diversity and culture. Um, I don't, I, you know, I don't really know. I didn't look it up, but if you are from Wayne state and want to verify that, I think that's a university level thing. I had some debate Mm -hmm. tournaments there and they were always that just that when we went to that university, you could tell that that was a big focus university wide. That's great. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. It's been awesome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All righty. So we're going to continue this conversation online. You can follow us on Facebook at Beautiful Humans Cast or on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change. Go ahead and share your thoughts on this episode. Thank you for continuing to be beautiful humans with us and tune in for the next show. Bye. Hey, it's Denisha and Erin. I just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Yeah, you know, uh, we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a Pretty Easy Podcast. So Pretty Easy Podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. Record from your home or your office or at the park. Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. 
you know you want to do it. So go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm-hmm.